Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. This is Wade here with Mike, socially distancing in our podcast studio, um, I would say roughly six feet apart across two big tables, um, but staring with great friendship and esteem into each other's eyes. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that fair to say, Mike? Oh, absolutely. Um, and we are wrapping up in this podcast session our discussion of the bioethics section of our COVID-19 online learning series for Philosophy 201 Ethics, using as a springboard for that the book by Gilbert Mylander, Bioethics, a Primer for Christians. And the last two chapters, which we will take together, bring us to uh, chapter 11, Embryos, the Smallest of Research Subjects, and then chapter 12, Sickness and Health. Um that sickness and health is just a shorter kind of wrap-up chapter. And you've probably noticed by now that for all of these, these are kind of laying down the principles, big picture type of discussion. And uh, for our podcast discussion of it, we're not going to go into every little aspect of what's discussed in the book, but we want to hit on some of the things that normally, I'm trying to gauge what normally comes up in class discussions, what questions students might have or where discussion might go, and that's what we are trying to um, trying to do. So we will discuss first, then briefly, embryos, the smallest of research subjects. And this is, um, I would say it was probably under the Bush years that this became a really hot topic. Huh, Mike, is, am I remembering correctly? Yeah, and um, it was one of those things that we're seeing in our society right now where one news event sort of just kind of uh, overwhelms another one. So I don't know if you remember, but there was fires in Australia and Kobe Bryant died. Yeah. <clears throat> um, those seems like, that seems like a decade ago, but nine 11 came and, uh, no longer was stem cell research on the front page, Yeah. but it was every day for, for, for that summer before I can distinctly remember that. So, um, and so this is something that that was talked about and I, I mean, it still sometimes pops up but maybe is not discussed as much. Um, but when we talk about en- embryonic stem cell research, um, what we're going to distinguish here between um, f- when, when it comes to sem- stem cells is just to make clear, we're not talking necessarily about adult stem cells here, but embryonic stem cells, and especially you know stem cells then used for embryos that were, in- u- that were created for things like in vitro fertilization. Um, and then they are used not what they were created for in ex- experimentation um, or in stem cell research. Um, or the possibility of embryos just simply being created to be used for research. Um, the debate will come up, well, is in embryo life, uh, you know, the same debate that can be had about the, the fetus, when is it viable, when is it an individual life, and I think Mylander put it puts it helpfully um, f- to understand where he's going to come from. He says on page one eighteen in my book, the third edition, each of us began life as an am- embryo. For an embryo is a human being in its earliest stage of development, fragile and undeveloped, to be sure, but nevertheless an integrated, self-developing whole. Um, and then he's going to go on and, and unpack that. Uh, but I think if we keep that in mind for what we're discussing, then that it's the um, all of us were embryos. We wouldn't be here if we weren't embryos. Um, and the fact is, there's embryos that 
have life, and then there's going to be embryos that that don't have life. Uh, And sometimes that's been decided by nature historically, Um, but increasingly it can be decided by human beings uh, who are using these things towards their own ends, uh, which we can debate ethically if they're good or bad ends. That's specifically what Mylander is going to to have in mind. Um, Mike, what are any of your initial thoughts that come uh, to mind regarding uh, embryonic stem cell research? Yeah, I think uh, even if someone doesn't believe there is a soul, even if somebody doesn't believe that life begins at this moment, uh, I think one tactic to, to take is to say, but you don't know that for sure, let's err on the side of caution. Uh, another thing to think about is, um, you kind of highlighted it, this was made for something else, right? And so to use it for a different purpose, well, I used the word, didn't I? I used the word use, and that, that's problematic. Um, I, I am uncomfortable also with um, the idea that is out there, which I don't think is super accurate always, that if we just could do this stem cell product stem cell research then probably by next tuesday parkinson's would be definitely coronavirus right you know i mean like hold on for a second you know we don't we don't do that with other things and uh rightly call out that logic often um i'm happy though that uh you know things with the umbilical cord and 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 we shouldn't get into too much of the science because neither of us know it very well but there's other ways to do some of this research. There's other ways to do some of the um, things that come out of of those those strains or whatever. Those those things can be done uh, now. I think without without uh, using uh, stem cells, right? Um, not not all of them, but there seems to be some advances that way. And so I'm glad that there was kind of a waiting. Let's let's hold on for a little bit before we start harvesting all of these things. Of course, the bigger issue here is why do we have a bunch of fertilized eggs laying around? Right. right. This is the problem. And we talked about this before, like when we talked, uh, uh, you know, maybe gun control. Uh, well, I was thinking today. Uh, there's no cars on the on the road here, and I remember having a discussion with somebody about mass uh, transportation and why does America, you know, have all these cars and it's terrible for the environment. Where other places have trains, and there's there's something about train travel that actually is kind of cool and stuff like that. And well, America's spread out, right? I mean, these are big spaces. Uh, we're not very much for government running, you know, uh, infrastructure that much, although they should certainly pay a lot for roads, blah, blah, blah. But the final thing is it's because it's a car culture. It's a gun culture, right? Don't talk to me about laws and stuff like that. You can't really change that kind of culture. And in the same way, I think if you have a culture of let's have these designer babies, I want this for myself, all of those things that aren't necessarily bad, but you can see somebody being very selfish, right? And that we have this culture. It's not just this. It's not just the fact that we're able to do it or that we do it. There's a culture a that allowed culture this. Culture for life, yeah. There, there is a culture that allowed this. And so, when we talk about the, uh, you know, stem cell research and stuff like that, you got to take a step back and say, why do we even have this possibility in the first place? And that's it bigger ethical question and it's not going to change either way by uh 
with the legal system. Yeah. Yeah, and I think uh, you know you hit on a few things there that are important, Mike. And one one of them that stood out is we as Christians we do give thanks when there is promising um, potential to cure things, when there's um, promising potential to help avoid things um, for human beings down the road. Uh, we're not anti-science. The question just becomes, uh, can you do it ethically? Um, can you do it without undermining human value and life? And that's where these issues will arise. So when it gets to adult stem cell research, you, you, you won't find uh, most of the same sorts of debates that you will with when it's dealing with embryonic stem cell uh, we'll just rejoice. We'll rejoice when um, there's other treatments, some of them that you mentioned that are, seem promising for, for healing things. Um, so this is not being anti-science. And it, at the same time, we'll be thankful when uh, the medical and scientific community are able to come up with, I mean, on the whole, to be fair, there are some amazing lengths that uh, and accomplishments that have been achieved in the medical and scientific communities of, you know, ethically producing, I mean, amazing things. Um, this is not that every doctor or scientist is just looking for, uh, you know, an unethical quick fix for things. Um, even those and we who would might, even say it's pretty darn rare. Right. And even those who might argue for embryonic stem cell research, this is not, they're not all necessarily making uh, Nazi arguments. Um, the caution is simply, as Mike was mentioning earlier, that's, that we be um, honest assessors of ourselves when we look into the ethical mirror and recognize that uh, those times when similar thinking um, to what, for instance, some of those Nazi doctors were willing to do might be betrayed in us, um, not uh, racist thinking, not, uh, um, you know, uh, genocidal but uh the commodification of human life using human life um without respect for the life being used i think this is maybe a fair way to put it um as mylander puts it on page 123 he and he and there he's talking about the moral quandaries that come from well we only have these embryos to experiment on because we created these extra embryos he says, these embryos we must not forget are destined to die by our own will and choice. We cannot pretend that their dying is a natural fact unaffected by our choices. And I think that's just a helpful way to uh, to summarize his arguments. And then he's going to have a section where he says, and we also have to come to terms with this life might have suffering, that not not everything that might potentially alleviate suffering is, is ethical. Um, and... Uh, I think that comes back to an early theme in this book that we talked about is that even Christians struggle with the theology of the cross, with, with recognizing that that God can work even through suffering for us as he worked our own salvation. Um, not meaning that we must seek suffering, um, but we, we can just recoil at the prospect. And, and so um, we forget the hope that we have that's the meaningful and lasting hope um, to sometimes cling to temporal hopes that aren't even for sure all all that promising. 
And so when it comes to this wanting to flee suffering, Mylander says um, that God will fail us and we must therefore break its hold on us before, like all idols, it breaks our integrity. We can do this only as we remind ourselves that however greatly we value the betterment of life made possible by medical research, we have no overriding obligation to seek such betterment. Research brings betterment of our life. It does not save our society or us. No, uh, noble goal that it is, medical progress is always optional. Um, and to cite Hans Jonas once again, uh, there's nothing sacred about it. And there, Mylander just cautioning again, the potential betterment of, of life for society is not a trump card that should always win. Um, and th most dystopian novels, right, get this. Because you look at that dystopian, how did it get there? It was the promise of the betterment of life. So Brave New World, you know, comes to mind. Um, sometimes that comes with costs that we don't always recognize at the time. Um, and so we do good to sometimes step back and say, do we want life bettered in that in that way? Anything else you have on that section, Mike? No, uh, just to hit, other than to hit on what we've been talking about the whole time, is you need a theology of suffering to, to deal with uh, medical ethics and ethics in general. You need to have something more than it's just random crap or that we're just trying to get over the hump here to bring to bring heaven on earth, right? You need to understand heaven is heaven and earth is earth. And you need to be able to navigate that if you're going to have any hope of, of going through these ethical questions and quite frankly, personally, just going through life. So uh, it does make sense that uh, the author would end uh, the, his book with uh, something about suffering, I think. Um, well, good. So maybe if we just hit briefly on the, the sickness and health chapter, and this is really just a chapter once again, wrapping things up. So I don't want to uh, belabor it, but I would say a key theme that comes out of this last chapter is that Christians, as they wrestle with these ethical questions, something that's defining for them and something that they have um, that centers them is hope. And maybe I'll just uh, throw it to you first, Mike, because usually here I would ask the class, well, what is hope when we talk about Christianity using that word hope? We hope is like the word love or faith. The, the three big words, faith, hope, and love, English is not good with, right? Mm -hmm. um, I can say I have faith in Mike. I can say I have faith in God. Those are two very different faiths, but the, right, there's, mm -hmm. there's an element of trust in it. Um, I can say I love my wife. I can say I love pizza. I can say I love my wife when she brings me pizza. Um, I can say I love the Detroit Tigers. Um, you know, I can love about anything. I can hope I win the lottery. I can hope I dunk a basketball. I can hope I lose 100 pounds. I can also hope I go to heaven. Um, so English is not a good precision language with, with these words, but what comes to mind, maybe, Mike, I'll pretend I'm throwing it to the students, but instead I'm throwing it to Dr. Berg. So feel free to, to hold forth and not simply give student answers. But um, why is it important that we understand correctly that word hope in Christianity? Yeah, I when we think about hope and i think rightfully so that we're we're thinking about the future right and so if i'm thinking about the future i'm hoping i'm hoping for something that is going to come that for a christian um we are we live in the already but the not yet right so i'm hoping for something that has actually already been gifted to me and so in a certain way i can enjoy it right now um for 
the average person living here in a uh, difficult life, and it is a difficult life, even if you um, are the richest, healthiest, most successful person, you you are still looking for something more, right? And contentment is something we just can't quite put our finger on here in in this world. And I think that's actually a good thing. So hope, not that this is where you're going, but hope is is something that is 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 I would say unique to humanity as compared to like the dolphins. But it is all, and it is universal, right? Nobody is ever completely satisfied at any given moment. And you have to ask yourself, why is that? Why are we always in a state of hope? And that's because we were made for something perfect. And so we are rightly discontent. So then how do you figure that out, right? And and this is where hope kind of, slides into faith a little bit, right? That where am I going to put my faith? If my hope for the future is going to be grounded in a utopia here on earth, then ethically I can make some pretty serious mistakes about saying, um, this is how I get to a better salary. This is how I get to um, uh, perfect health. This is how I get to these things. And if you're myopic in that, where you're only concentrating on that one thing, you can justify a lot of bad actions, or you can miss primarily that this life is a gift. And so you, you totally lose any concept of contentment, but then again, you are seeing people as stepping stones to something else, rungs on a ladder, things that you use to get to, to this unattainable thing called hope. Uh, there's more to it, but that's... No, I think that's really good, and I think, you know, you're exactly right, and you're, you're pointing out, essentially, hope exposes our idols. It exposes what we idolize, what's that thing that we want above all else, but it also exposes who we idolize, who do we ultimately trust. Oftentimes, at the end of the day, my hope reveals I am an idol, I trust myself, or and, and we see this, this is a temptation in our own day with the pandemic. Um, friends, uh, doctors, nurses, and scientists have enough to worry about right now without you trying to deify them, <laughs> right? <laughs> you don't have to make them gods and goddesses. They are human. They are doing their work. Um, they have mental, physical, spiritual needs just like the rest of us. Um, if there was a way for them to uh, click their fingers and heal all COVID and come up with a treatment and a vaccine by Friday, uh, I'm sure that they would they would love to get the math on that. Um, but right, sometimes we place our hope in the white the white suits or what do you call those suit coats or lab coats. Um, so hope exposes our idols when it's misplaced. True Christian hope then is trust in Christ. Um, and it's a hope that's rooted in, in life eternal, right? And th- I don't mean life eternal too, like that. Like we minimize this life and just think of heaven. We re- This life is part of life eternal, right? We now have eternal life and we're enjoying it. Um, so it's a, it's a hope that brings us from this life to the next. It's this th- this continuity that, that takes place there. And so 
Um, this hope ought to trump any other hopes that might come into the play um, in the midst of uh, of suffering or uh, or challenges. Did that make sense, Mike? Yeah. Was that a heretic? You kind of smiled. Maybe no, I was thinking about an Atlantic article that maybe you saw. I think it was a couple days ago. It was written by a, a grocery store worker at Trader Joe's in like Oregon or something like that. And um, she was talking about how I'm, you know, grocery store workers are quote unquote on the front lines, right? Like they're like they're on the, the Western front or something, you know, and she, right. I think it was a, she, maybe it was he, she rightly pointed out, like, you know, you're just saying that to make yourself feel better. And she was absolutely right. But then she devolved into, um, we're not heroes, we're victims, you know? And so you, you started to see in her that this was her hope, her, her God finally was herself here. Right. And, and she knew that she was not a hero. So what do you do when you know you're not living up to the praises that people are giving you? Well, you blame somebody else and you become a victim, right? And uh, I kind of felt sorry for her. I was like, you know, it was, it was virtue signaling at the same time. I'm a vi- You know, it was just kind of a weird kind of thing. And it was just yet one more form of self-justification. I think to tie that into what you were talking about, hope, that's why I was smiling. Uh, uh, Sophie last night asked she needs to for an assignment find a picture from a magazine and use for uh, school and uh, I mean the only magazines we really get are the ones I get and so I'm like well you can look and so I get Atlantic Harper's um, New Yorker um, oh, there's one other that I'm forgetting and uh, but Sophie's like she comes down after a little while. She's like, looking at this magazine, and all your magazine is just, con- you know, cartoons I don't understand. <laughs> well, she's been going through the New Yorkers <laughs> trying to find a picture. And uh, apparently, you know, the, the cartoons, which are, are not always easy to get. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I think that's a helpful thing to keep in mind um, <clears throat> regarding the I, – I think, you know, that probably is a useful article for pointing out how, uh, and I mean, it sounds like it also reveals hopes as far as economic hopes and, and stuff like that too. Uh, so I think we've, we've said a, a fair amount and we can kind of wrap up our, our Mylander section. I apologize to students. Uh, I didn't cause the pandemic, but, um, this is always a fun section to do in person in class. And it's really d- usually discussion heavy, a lot of back and forth. And so, uh, hopefully Dr. Berg and I did at least some of that in our discussion here. But, uh, you know, be sure you're uploading your notes for this, and we'll be moving on. Our, our last reading for the semester will be The Grand Inquisitor, um, which is a section from the uh, the Brothers Karamazov, or uh, the Brothers K, uh, by Fyodor Dostoevsky. And uh, Mike and I are going to talk about that next. And then you will have videos or podcast sessions for the whole semester through the time that we wrap up. Um you got an email recently about finishing the semester, which outlined everything we have left yet to do. Review that if you haven't um, to make sure you're on top of stuff with that. And in the meanwhile, let the bird fly.